everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 135. As always, I am one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the Leon Kennedy and Claire Redfield of LA. Oh, I'm Claire. I don't care what anyone says. I'm Claire. I was gonna, I was gonna say I'm Leon, so it's good. We're all yeah. good. We all got oh, what That was perfect. Yeah. That was that was excellent. Excellent. Uh, yeah, welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast. You should know if you were listening to last week's episode. This is out of our hands already. So whatever Alex does, just it's up to it's his fault. Email him, listen, blame him, listen, tweet at him, listen, thread at him. I've just been into symbology a lot. What? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Wait, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, 22, 2022. This is not episode 135. This is episode 2022, part two. one, part two. The revenging. Oh. This is part two. Of part one of a two-parter that became a surprise two-parter right. in the midst of itself. Twos, guys. Twos. Twos on twos. Right. Twos on twos on twos. Yeah. Twos on twos on twos. And if you have two much money, head over to patreon.com slash Pod, where you can get rid of it on our behalf. Uh, and it will help us out and it will keep our show rolling and it'll keep the laughs rolling in to your ears, which you guys probably like. Um, and, oh my, uh, that, you know, this shamelessness literally made my eyes water. You know I, what it makes me? Lots of money each month. And I like that about it. What is so that? head on over to patreon.com <laughs> slash Chaluminati pod. And you can keep this happening? show a floating right along. That's all I'm saying. I'm excited. I'm excited because it's a good show. I'm excited because I started off doing this as a cute idea. And I thought these were going to be like short, concise, Quick, you know what I mean? Short, concise vibes. And five and hours later, here we are. And instead, yeah, we're and instead we're in part two of part one, right? And next week, so next week is part one of part two, right? Part no, one is that? Yeah, part two, part one. How part many more two. do we have of these? Wait, no, what? there's a part two. There's a part well, this two. This is the end of part one today, and the beginning of part two starts next week. There's a part two, and 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 maybe it'll finish the very next, the very same Wait, week. How Who is knows? there a part two to 2022 Tiny Mysteries? There was a. Part one was going to be one through 11, and then yeah. it ended up being a little longer than I expected. And now it is part. How many did we get? How many did we get through in, in the first one? Six. Six? Oh my God. <laughs> 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 yeah. See, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a potential. Or clean, remember? <laughs> and that yeah, was yeah. a list within a list within a list. <laughs> if you think about it, which is also in a list of episodes, too. Exactly what you're doing is you're, cre- oh my God. you're creating a podcast representation of what the fourth dimension looks like. <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, speaking of representations of things from the fourth dimension, I'm going to tease that there have been some mysterious trail cam entities captured. Uh, this week in the news. So if you want to head over to patreon.com for real and become a part of our little mini. So that's the mini. So that's coming out this week. I'm going to talk about some wild. Uh, one of them is like going to make Jesse laugh a lot. And the other one's going to make us all go. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, before, be, before, before we, we get to this, I want to say at the top here, if you want to get like weird vibes and you have, you know, like a free week or free weekend, 
Uh, totally unrelated. They have not paid me to say this, but I'm in the thick of it. So now I'm forcing it upon you two and the audience as well. Go on Netflix. Watch oh, Silent I know what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we can get real weird with it. Go watch Silent Sea. Silent Sea. I've never even heard of it. It was like watching a man fall in love in real time on Twitter uh, last night or whenever Mathis, that was. <laughs> I'm going to pitch you the idea. I'm going to pitch you really quick. Right. Here's the here's elevator pitch. Pitch right. it I is am a Hollywood executive. Some Go. indeterminate time of the future. And uh-huh. water on Earth is drying up rapidly. The people of Earth are desperate to try, you know, survive and stuff. But it's very obvious that the uh, richer you are and the more important you are to society, the more water rights you have. There are little cards and everyone's trying to get like a gold card or probably a platinum card so they can get more water. Right. OK. And, you know, there's various weird diseases and all these different things going on. It's, it's pretty much a hellscape on Earth. Meanwhile, an expedition was sent to the moon and this one girl's, the main character's sister was on that expedition. Something happened. Everyone died. Everyone died on the moon. And now a group is being sent to the moon to get back a sample of something that is up on the moon that is very important. And she is part of the team going to the moon to go retrieve this. And I will simply say, here's here's the best way to describe how they shoot the show, because it is like a mystery slash sci-fi thriller slash like maybe horror. I don't, here's a great example. doesn't end up to be like a pebble, right? Here's, here's a great (laughs) example of how they shoot this show, which sums up perfectly. It's so good. Um, the main character, the main woman is walking down this hallway and it's like a creepy, like, you know, flickering lights and the whole crew is there walking with her. And she notices down a stairwell, a pitch black stairwell. And she turns to face it. And the music is like, Wow! Like it's weird, and she's looking at this, and you're like, "What the hell's down that stairwell? What is this?" And the camera then is from the bottom of the stairwell, looking up at her. So now she's like in a little black square, and it's like really weird. You're like, "What is going on?" And then you know, one of those cuts where one of her guys is like, "Hey, anything? What's what's going on?" She's like, "Oh, uh, uh, nothing." Turns to walk away, but the camera is still down in the hole of the stairwell looking up and then slowly moves behind one of the walls. Like, was that someone watching her or is that just the camera? It's that kind of cinematography. It's so good. I do like that. That does sound really, really good. Yeah. It's very well done. And I want to see yellow jackets. I heard yellow jackets was really good. I guys, I watched Encanto. That was really great. Hey, I mean, you know, if I if I had to pick one movie off the list of movies that you haven't fucking seen, I don't think I would have picked Encanto, but That's I hear it's, I hear it's delightful. Yeah, it was so very I'm glad. delightful. It yeah. was very cute. Yeah, I'm here. I hear it's beautiful. A lot of generational and, trauma. It's I'm sure. Yeah, it's yeah. That's literally that was the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> the whole. Yeah. Movie. Have you guys seen the Bob and David sketch about rooms? The musical. No, no. it's about like a house where the rooms sing to each other. <laughs> Dude, that sounds great. Yeah, it just, I, I watched. I didn't see the whole Encanto, but I see, I saw like a little bit, and that's what it reminded me of. Anyway, <laughs> content warning today, guys. No spoilers. There's going to be adult themes, graphic violence, murder, sexual abuse. So please be kind to yourself and proceed at your own risk from here on out, because you are now in boom adult waters. We've gotten uh, more dark as the as the show has gone on. I like water. it. You know what? This we definitely we're getting like uh, not brainwashed, but radicalized. The more we the, the more we stay here, the more we're like, look, we can only do happy aliens so much before the kids aren't going to get interested. <laughs> From now on, we got to do all violent alien abductions, and we got to <laughs> do all the the things where people murder each other. We got to like the kids are going to need more of that. You got to follow the numbers. Listen, I just like to plant a little dream in everyone's heart. You know what I mean? 
Shout outs to care11.com, rollingstone.com, theverge.com, AW Naves on Medium, the Denver Post, you slash unresolved mysteries, and of course, the real one, wikipedia.com, which would be a rough list of sources for a journalistic article. But as always, I want you to know, I see the episodes that I write for the show as a sociological exercise or a cultural study than more, more so that than being something that's a hundred percent accurate to history, you know, and while it may not always be from a confirmed source, rest assured that I am indeed a smart and well-reasoned human person uh, and included every piece of information that I included what is, only after thinking about it. Man, no, like that. I'm just saying, you know, I want you to understand the spirit with which I'm approaching this. No, I would like to keep things- Jesse. Don't don't say my name like this is my fault. You're in charge. This is this I, is you no, this write is, this ship. Write this ship. <laughs> I, I, he is at the helm and I have my hands have been bound and I am thrown in the brig. Sometimes, I can't yeah, do look, anything. Sometimes you got to acknowledge what's fun about this. This infir- stuff, you know, you got to keep it lighthearted. Anyway, number seven, house fire. Let's take a second mm-hmm. to talk about a bunch of kids who tragically burned to death in a house fire. Oh my God. Uh, or did they? <laughs> oh, oh uh, the plot of Little Hope. Uh, yeah, sort of. Okay, so look, this brings us to, no, actually, fuck Little Hope. Can I just say that? I don't care who wrote that. You know, it's not, you know, I'll respect whoever wrote it. You're not a, a bad writer. You just took a swing and you and you missed. It's a bold, it's a bold one. Is that that, is that that like Man of Medan game? Yes. Can I just, is it okay if I spoil hates. it? Dude, you, it's a dream. It's a dream. Oh, oh no. It's a twist. It's, it's not like, even it a, dream. a dream. It's not even a dream. Matters. It's like a crazy man's delusion, which is like even worse than a dream. Anyway, don't worry about it. This is not a dream. This is not a delusion. Or is it? Sometimes uh, I wonder. Us, yeah. Yeah. We, we are in Fayetteville, West Virginia. It's Christmas Eve. The year is 1945. The Sodder family home burned down in a house fire. Okay. George and his wife, Jenny, lived in the house with nine of their 10 kids with them, but only four of them were able to officially escape the blaze. So they walked out of the house with only four of their nine fucking kids. Uh, However, the bodies of the other five children were never found. And for several reasons I'm going to get into right now, to this day, relatives of George and Jenny Sauter are still out there who are convinced those five kids survived and continue to search for evidence of what happened to them all these years later. This is a legendary story. Man, this is the difference between being positive and listening to this podcast. I, when you said that, I wasn't like, Oh, they must've survived. I was like, they killed those other kids. And the house fire was clearly the distraction when they buried those kids out in the woods somewhere. And they were like, Oh no, they died in the fire. That's what I thought. No, that's for Mathis to do over slowly over four episodes to like (laughs) make me aware, not only of just the depths of human depravity, but also just societal problems that have plagued us that we will never escape from over hundreds of years. Uh, I can't wait to do John Wayne Gacy next, everybody. It's going to be great. Oh my God. Oh my God. That is like a song today. There's a song that Sufjan, Stevens does about John Wayne Gacy that like makes me feel bad when I hear it. Oh, <laughs> no. uh, all right. Here we are. We're back in the house where the kids burned alive in the house, keeping it light, keeping it light. Maybe they're not dead though. That's the thing. And, uh, their family for years and years and years has been keeping this dream alive. So, you know, this, I, 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 I you take it with a grain of salt, but I ask you to approach this with some an open mind. Uh, according to the official story, the fire was caused by faulty wiring 
Okay. But pretty quickly, George Sauter started having lots of questions. Like if it was an electrical fire, how could the Christmas lights have stayed on during the fire? Because it was Christmas Eve. How did the ladder that went missing the night of the fire end up 75 feet away in an embankment? And why did the telephone guy uh, tell them their phone line had looked like it was cut rather than burnt through? And who was the mysterious thief that they arrested for cutting it days before? Uh, you know, why is there no identifying record of who this man was? And why would a thief cut a utility line during a burglary? Hmm. You know, they found yeah, a, yeah. they found a man who they arrested a man for a burglary who cut the phone wire. You know, it's pretty. And he, and he you know, just little things were starting to add up for George that made it feel a little weird. And then a few months later, a bus driver comes forward saying that that night as he was driving his bus past the solder house, he saw people throwing, quote, balls of fire at it. And in, if, if he had come, what? if he had come, yeah, he said he saw people throwing balls of fire at the house. If he had come forward earlier, George Sauter might have connected it with the thumping that he heard that night on the roof. Like this guy told him he saw the balls of fire and he was like, immediately was like, that was the thumping that I heard that night. I wasn't sure what that was because nobody told me those fucking balls of fire flying at my house. Uh, that's what his wife heard that night. And he was thinking about it again once the snow melted because his youngest daughter, Sylvia, found a small green rubber ball-esque thing in a bush nearby that he said looked like a, quote, pineapple bomb. Uh, and uh, once things started picking up again, more and more people who came to stare at the fire that night began putting two and two together and remembering things from that night that were kind of weird. Because remember, at the time... None of them knew that there was like five missing kids and that maybe they should be looking out for these kids. Right. They were just there being like, oh, my God, what the fuck happened? What is this fire? They weren't like thinking like, what about the mystery of the missing kids? Because there was no mystery yet. Uh, one woman said that she saw a car with Florida license plate roll up to her rest stop, uh, which was between Fayetteville, where the Sodders lived and Charleston and serve breakfast to the kids. Uh, and another said that she saw the missing kids watching the fire from inside of a car at the scene, but didn't think anything about it at the time because she thought maybe they were just safe and in the car. You know what I mean? Like she didn't know that there was like the possibility that they could be in someone else's car. Right. Uh, and then uh, sufficiently suspicious at this point, they hired this guy, C.C. Tinsley. Great name. He is a private investigator who discovered that a man who had earlier threatened George Sauter. Uh, George Sauter's home and his family, he said, you're going to have a fiery death uh, because George Sauter was talking shit on Mussolini, which immediately put me on George Sauter's side. Yeah, uh, <laughs> go on him. That guy who said that to him uh, was also on the coroner's jury that decided that the fire had been an accident. Uh, and he heard from a minister in the nearby church that the fire chief, Chief Morris, confessed to him that he found a human heart in the fire, which he then buried in a metal box in the what? woods. Yeah. He, he put me and then he buried it in a metal box. Yeah. So things get even weirder from here because George Sauter confronts chief Morris about the heart and he actually takes him and CC Tinsley out to where he buried it, digs it up for them. Okay. But when the funeral director checked it out and revealed that it was actually just a hunk of beef liver in the box, chief Morris was like, listen, you got me. I felt bad for you. I wanted to give you closure to like prove that your kids were dead and I fucked up. So that's on me. Uh, and so that really fucking sucked. And then in 1949, like five, four years later, they redug through the dirt at the site. They found a piece of human bone. 
Uh, but after testing, they revealed that the bone had never been burnt before. Uh, like it had never seen flame and was from someone who would have been a little older than the kids were at the time. Uh, so it was just ruled a fluke. And for some reason, Tinsley said they came from a cemetery in Mount Hope, which was 15 miles away. But he had no explanation for how or why they would be there or how he knew that, actually, which is super weird. Um, but he said it was just like dirt from over there that had moved there. Now, I don't know if that was shady or he just like never put forth an explanation, but that's the that was the situation there. Uh, in 1952, the Sodders put up a famous billboard where the house once stood. Uh, this is something you might have seen a picture of if you looked up this mystery online at any point in your life. It's a pretty popular mystery uh, on Reddit. It eventually became a local landmark and many more tips and sightings have been reported since. Uh, but the last one that I want to focus on, uh, which I thought was interesting, occurred in 1967. So like over 20 years later, when Jenny received a photograph in the mail postmarked from Central City, Kentucky, of a young man in his late 20s or early 30s, but who also looked a lot like their missing son, Lewis, who was only 10 at the time of the fire. Uh, the picture is online. If you want to see, if you look up Lewis Sauter, um, though, it probably has a wilder effect if you knew what the kid looked like when he was younger, you know, but I don't even know what he looked like. There's like a low res photo of him. So I don't know how accurate it is, but it came with a note, uh, that freaked out, uh, Jenny Sauter, which said Lewis Sauter. I love brother Frankie little boys, a nine zero one, three, two or three, five. I don't know what that means. Eight, but nine, that's, zero, what the, one, that's what the that's what the message said. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. the, fa the family kept looking without much to go on, eventually coming to the conclusion that maybe the Sicilian mafia was behind it and that they took their kids back to Italy for some payment that they believed had they believed they had coming to them from George. Uh, but George died in 1969. And though some of the family is still around fighting for the truth today, uh, Sylvia Sauter Paxton, the little girl who found the pineapple bomb looking thing, who was like uh, she was the last one of the siblings uh, to have been like the youngest one, the last one alive. Uh, she was only two years old when the house burnt down. She died in 2021 after quote, a long illness at the age of 79. And even her obituary, if you read her obituary, it mentions the fire and all the names of all 10 of her brothers and sisters. So if you want to go look up the obituary for Sylvia Sauter Paxton, you can do that and you can read a little sweet story about how she never stopped thinking about all her siblings, even when she was like a mm. nice old lady. And that is the Sodder children mystery. What happened to those kids? Where'd those kids go? Look, oh. I still, uh, I still have my negative Jesse view that those kids were killed before the, the thing fire is, was like set to make it be like, you oh, know what happened to our kids? The thing is it would be, have to be a real hot fire to burn away any evidence at all. Of oh, agreed. Any, agreed. any skeletons and yeah and they looked pretty thoroughly you know what i mean and so i don't know and and i don't know like some of those some of those things like the picture of the kid like what is that just like a like a nut sending them like messing with that lady <laughs> yeah i mean they very there are be. nuts yes there Remember, are nuts benjamin franklin was trolling people until after they died yeah, I guess it seemed just like a lot more low profile than what Ben Franklin was doing. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, some people have, you know, people yeah. just like I to mean, fuck there are people. there are people that do that. I, I remember there was some story about some guy on YouTube who like uh, said he was the, he like started tormenting a family that was like had like a unsolved murder of like the mom or something in the family. He was like, I did it. And then the cops came and he was like, I was just fucking around. I'm just a fucking asshole. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um. But yeah, 
that's the soldered children mystery. Uh, pretty interesting one. Lots more to read on that one too. If you want to like go deep, but mm-hmm. that's what, like the reason that I didn't make it into a full episode is because a lot of the stuff beyond like the core story, a lot of the time, just it's so hard to like actually say, I, you know, I was, I was being cute earlier and being like, you know, I'm all about the story and I don't care that much about how accurate the facts are. But like, I, like I say, I'm not trying to fuck you around. You know what I mean? Like the, some, yeah, yeah. sometimes it gets a little too far away from something that I like want to say on a microphone. Sure. Uh, so it's a little shorter, but yeah. Uh, anyway, number eight, <laughs> 200 pound You took that pillow. one so seriously. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm, I have scruples. Uh, the 200 pound pillow. Thank God I number don't. Eight. It sounds like a lot. It sounds like a hassle. I bless it. I bless it. Yeah. I, I wish I was as free. I, I wish I was free of that burden. Uh, let's head over to a story, uh, in Mathis's wheelhouse. Don't know if either of you heard of this one before. For all I know, we've done a whole episode on it that I forgot about. Uh, but this one takes place on August 27th, 1979, 20 miles from the North Dakota border near highway 220 in Warren, Minnesota. Uh, County Sheriff's deputy Val Johnson set it down highway five when he saw bright light to the South where the 220 is. At first, he thought it was some kind of crash plane or like a balloon or whatever. But then he realized that something was happening different spatially than he thought. Like he thought he was looking at something in the air and that's not what he was looking at. The thing smashed through his front windshield, almost bashed its way up and like bounced over the front of his car. Uh, uh, and it said that it hit him like a 200 pound pillow. And when it, when it hit him, he kind of passed out. Uh, and there's an actual radio call that you can see, but I thought it would be more fun if you guys read the radio call. So Jesse, you're going to be the operator and Mathis, okay. you're going to be deputy Johnson, but don't worry. I made it so easy. Just <laughs> like I did. The other day. All right. Where are we doing this? Oh, I see. Okay. 407. What's your condition? I, I don't know. Something just hit my car. What's your condition? Are you okay? Something attacked my car. I heard the glass breaking in the locks. The brakes locked up. I don't know what's going on. So, yeah, Pert, that was great. I like that. A lot of drama in that one. Yeah. Uh, I really gave it my all. It's very uh, Twin Peaks vibes. Any agents out there, uh, you can contact <laughs> me at agents. at gmail.com. <laughs> agents I don't know how this Hollywood thing works. Mr. Yeah, Martin. Gmail. <laughs> yeah. uh, that would be the most exciting day of my life. You, you want to join with the agents? Come on. You got to get out of there. Oh, man. Listen, just, you know, give me Matrix powers. That's all. I'll take Matrix powers. Right? You, you can do it. Anyway, according to police reports, both Johnson's watch and the clock in his squad car stopped for about 14 minutes. Uh, Johnson's teeth were fractured at the gum line and his eyes appeared to have, quote, mild welder's burns, according to the report. Uh, But probably the coolest thing about this is that you can actually go visit this squad car today in exactly the same condition it was when it got hit by whatever it got hit with that night at the Marshall County Historical uh, Historical Society Museum in Glendale, Minnesota. Uh, And uh, speaking of that car. Uh, that squad car. Apparently, they brought out experts from the Ford Motor Company in Honeywell uh, to like investigate because that's how serious they took this. This was like a weird fucking thing that happened for reals, uh, and nobody could make any sense of it. Uh, one of the guys from Ford uh, said that quote: "The cracks in the glass collectively were unlike anything I've seen before." Isn't that nuts? Uh, but I guess I mean, do they? Did I miss the part where they explain how the cracks got there? Literally just the the object that f- flew at his car and hit him, like sort of like came right at his car, bounced up, like knocked off like uh, the front of his 
mirror, uh, the front of his, uh, what do you call it? Headlights up on, like bounced up onto the hood, bounced once, smashed right into his windshield. And then he like, and it wasn't like a deer or anything. It was like an object. It was like an object that he thought was actually far away in the sky when he was looking at it and didn't realize that it was like right next to him. Interesting. And it did a, and it did a bunch of crazy stuff. And so they brought in experts. Nobody has any idea. Uh, and while nobody knows uh, for sure what he encountered that night or what happened to him, uh, it is Johnson himself who has the best take. And I'm going to let Mathis read that. He seems like he's sort of, you know, moved on from his scary times as a police officer and is kind of mellowed out. Uh, upon reflection, we've come to the conclusion that perhaps the creator has made other things we can't readily see or readily, readily identify. And perhaps this is one of the things we encountered on the road. What? So he's just like, God did it. Yeah. God he's like, did it. He's like, yo, he's like, all right, all right, all right. I guess you got to um, get through life however you can. That's just a crazy hot take. It's like, you know what? It could have been anything. But I actually respect it, honestly, because yeah. he's like, you know, I could have said it was a deer. I could have said it was anything. I could have said it. I hit it like a tree. But no, he's like, look, there's probably things out there that God made that we'll never understand. I'm like, you know what? That's pretty. Uh, all right. I like that. I mean, if you're if you if you had like the trauma of something like this, where every single person in the world like thinks you're crazy. Yeah. You know, like. You know, I'm, that's possibly the best mindset that I can think of. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that is the story of the war in Minnesota UFO. How and there's that? just nothing. Very it's neat. like a tiny, a baby, like a little baby. It's like the uh, alien that shows up in uh, the Jetsons and his yeah. little UFO. Yeah. It's like, oh, hello, dum dum. That guy. Yeah. yeah the yeah. little green dude. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What the hell is his name? I don't know. Mm, hello, Dum Dum. Yeah, I uh, just don't remember his name. Yeah, he's got Jetsons. A big I'm gonna head. look up Jetsons Alien. What's his name? Gleep Glorp? No. Jetsons Pet. Oh, the Great Gazoo. The Great yes. Gazoo. There we are. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. Look, another one of those mini mysteries because they're like the bigger mysteries that I like to cover in a whole episode, but I do less of them. I do less. Yeah, they're smaller. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Mini mysteries. It's genius. Uh, all right. Number Little nine. Tiny mini mysteries. Number nine of 22. Blind <laughs> the winds. <laughs> We're making good progress. Oh, good progress. Yeah. Let's head back to Germany, specifically to the town of Wilhelmshaven. Uh, sometime between 1982 and 1984, when a man called Darius S. That's a shortened, abbreviated last name for privacy. Was listening to a radio show called Music for Young People. On the local public radio station, NDR1. Very 80s Germany. It. Everything Music about it is so, for yeah, young that's people. amazing. Music for young Music people. Music for young people. <laughs> Music for the enjoying of young people to dance to and listen to on the idle times. When they're resting or listening to All it. All I can they imagine want to just is hang the out. Mike Myers Sprockets character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he would, so he would listen to this show and he would record songs that were being played onto cassettes. So he could like re-listen to it. This is like something we all used to do. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, it's called making a mixtape. Uh, <laughs> you do it for yourself and loved ones. Yeah. Kids. And it's a very, it's a very personal <laughs> act. Yeah. Uh, to him, to him, the tapes were precious. Like I say, he listened to them a lot for years and years. And one of those tapes, uh, the one that's of interest to us is simply called cassette four, which has some then new, but now familiar faces on it. Like some band like the cure or XTC, uh, but a list of songs he liked to call, but also a list of songs he liked to call his unknown pleasures, 
which were 25 like deep cut songs that he'd stockpiled over the years that were like, you know, those songs that they're on the radio, but you know, over the years they get played less and less while some songs, you know, live 20, 30 years. One hit wonders. Yeah. Well, just songs that didn't make a big splash. Let's put it that way. Uh, but he never, but you know, they never, they never entered the the zeitgeist. Uh, one of the songs in particular had captured the imagination of Darius and his sister Lydia, and which I'll share with you guys right now, so you can listen to the song and tell the people what it sounds like. Okay, so here okay. is a link to the All song, right? And just give us a little play by play of how it is. You won't have to listen to the whole thing, but just kind of you'll right. get it. It's pretty clear here what kind of vibe link it is to our song. What the hell? It's like the Beach Boys or something. Okay. Is that am I not correct? I to me like a slower. To me, it's no, like it's definitely not the Beach Boys. To me, it's like very eighties, like yes. sort of like new wavy, like something that would be on the Vice City soundtrack. Yeah, Vice City for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that. Yeah, something like that. But it's it's very like kind of generic sounding, kind of like maybe not an English speaker talking. I'm not sure. Like, what do you think? What describe the singer to people? Uh, a, oh, a, like a deeper voice. Um, it's kind of in the same vein as like a, uh, imagine like flock of seagulls, but yeah. with a deeper voice, like, like a guy that kind who of, looks like a guy who looks like guile from street fighter. Singing. Yeah. Like yeah. it definitely has a, a hard eighties vibe of just like, there's a, like a crappy synth. That's like bah, 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 in the background. And then it's just like a, Almost like a cure level of the song seems like it's about depression, but I'm not really sure what he's saying, yeah. but it has that what vibe do you, what of do you think like, he's saying, by the way, that, that like that line that he repeats, da, da, I, da. not a clue, no clue yeah, what he's saying. The, I could not even well, guess. So, so the, the name of the segment, number nine, it's called blind the wind. Cause that's what some people think he said. Some people say, think he's saying like the wind, a lot of different theories about mm. what he's saying. It's, it was uh, English is what I was listening to. Maybe we hold on. I think so. I think it's English. I just think it's got like a slight accent on it that kind of the way, you know, like how the, per, the the strokes do speak English, but like the way that he just kind of says the lines without worrying whether you can really understand what he's saying. Right. Has that, has that kind of vibe to it. There's a lot of, if you go online, there's a lot of guesses as to what the words are to this song. Uh, but yeah, very pretty low vocals in the mix. Pretty like, actually just like kind of like amateurly mixed in general kind of low sounds like a demo you know what i mean uh but anyway uh in 2007 lydia convinced darius and i'll put this on the subreddit if somebody reminds me it's called blind the wind like the wind you can find it on youtube uh anyway in 2007 lydia convinced darius to let her put a clip of it online thinking that the mystery would quickly be solved but there it languished in sub 10k view purgatory until 2018 when a 16 year old kid from brazil called gabriel da silva vieira vieira Vieira, Gabriel de Silva Vieira, finally posted it to some mystery-minded Reddit communities, eventually drawing the attention of Wang's Tales from the Internet, uh, Wang's Tales from the Internet show, and becoming a full-on viral sensation. Everybody knows who Wang is? You guys know this? No, I don't, but I can easily find out. Yeah, he's like a, I I bet you a lot of people who listen to this show know about Wang's Tales from the Internet. Uh, He's like a guy who sits in front of his webcam and like tells you about mysteries. I'm sure... Everybody okay. knows this type of channel. Uh, eventually, somebody emailed Lydia for the full version of the file and turned around and leaked it in full online, which is why we can listen to it today. But nobody on Earth, not even the DJ who probably played it on the radio in the first place, who was a guy called Paul Baskerville, by the way, has any idea who it is that wrote or recorded this song. 
exactly what the lyrics are, or if it's possible that a radio single of it is sitting somewhere in one of Paul's stacks of over 10,000 vinyl records, just like this, that you sort of build up as you are like a radio producer, right? So there could be like an official version of this somewhere in his collection, but other than meticulously going through this collection, which I don't think he's into, that's that's the only possibility. Hmm. Are you sure this isn't one of those like fake Beatles things? No, no, this is a real thing because this is a real. Are you sure it's a real song and not just well, a song that was recorded, then recorded over on a tape and then I, put guess, I guess I'm not 100 percent sure. But the amount of like scrutiny that this song has been through for it to just no be, one knows where it's from. No one can figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul does say he played songs that snuck over from East Germany over the wall sometimes because it was the 80s. So there was still the wall up, but nobody's even really sure the voices on the track sound like they're German, you know, almost maybe like it's like a British person. I'm not sure. Uh, Yeah, it's all just one big long shot. Uh, Theories and sightings abound. At one point, it was said that the track was, quote, the B side of a demo tape, whatever that means. Uh, The B side of a demo tape doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, like, why would you have a B-side on a demo tape? It's not like a single. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't mean. doesn't matter. Uh, from a German band who broke uh, soon after that called Dinah Lakayan. Uh, like a band from that time called Dinah Lakayan that maybe they, it was like a demo of theirs that got played on the radio sometime. But according to various people who look into this, that's not a super like uh, likely one anymore. Sure. Another person said they were supposedly friends with an ob- obscure German band called Isirks, who released the song as Check It In in 1982. Maybe that they're saying, Check It In. I don't know about that, though. Uh, the lead singer of that, up, I'm looking up Check It In song. Yeah. Uh, the lead singer is dead, other con- but other than confirming that the band did exist at one time and that their lead singer did, in fact, die, nothing else can be proven about their connection to the track because this song doesn't seem to exist anywhere. Isirks, Check It In. Uh, but that's what I'm they like say. I'm deep into the comments of this video right now. Yeah, that's what they, yeah, that's these what are they the, say. I think these are the lyrics you're talking about. This sucks. If you, if you go to YouTube and look up Check It In Song, the first thing that appears is a one billion viewed video for the chicken song. The chicken song. One nice. billion <laughs> some views. Videos, some videos are so popular that if they sound like a video that you're looking for, it will show up before the video you're looking for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Like the wind. You came here running. Take the consequence for leaving. There's no space. There's no tomorrow. Yeah. There, there is like a there is somebody who claimed it online, but it's not theirs. Uh, Another lead on YouTube says that the song uh, possibly played on the looping in-store music at the Whole Foods where they worked in 2003. They said they recognized it like exactly from that mix, Uh, but they tried to reach out to the company that programmed the Whole Foods radio station, weren't able to contact them. So that's unfortunate. Uh, But yeah, almost 40 years later, it's just crazy that any piece of media out there could exist that can't be traced to at least some sort of definitive origin. But for something to have been played to so many people in such an official capacity, having no record of it at all is pretty frustrating, pretty amazing, pretty mysterious. It's not the only piece of lost media out there, uh, but it's an interesting one. And I think if you like stuff like what we do, looking into lost media is like a very adjacent uh, sort of like pursuit for people who want that late night up at up at 2 a.m. researching feeling. 
So mm. you know, I love you. Like. There's a theory that I'm reading right now that I think is super interesting and it seems feasible to me, but I'm just going to run this by you. Cause I think this is great. This is so okay. neat. All right. Um, Due to the singer's voice, I believe it's definitely Eastern European, and I believe the band is from Hungary for two reasons. One, the song's lyrics are often interpreted as dark and hopeless, a place you cannot escape. Hungary, during this time, 1982, (laughs) 1984, was under communist control and fits the lyrics very well. I researched this and found out that many punk and new wave bands from Budapest, or Budapest, as Marvel would say, um... Their demo tapes were sent to Western Germany in hopes of success. This also backed up by a few NME articles about punks being locked up as they did not meet government perversion standards with older music. They're all from around 1984, the same year this song is purported to have existed. So I think that's pretty interesting. It could have been from like beyond the wall. Yeah, and, and I can definitely I can definitely back up the Eastern European vibe as I have a lot of relatives from that part of the world who sound like this. I like that theory. I think that's super, like there could be tons of lost music that we'll never know about simply because of yeah, the true. time period. Yeah. There's a great episode of like, I can't remember if it's reply all or radio lab or something like that. That's like exactly this. They, there's like a song and they like go really, really galaxy brain deep to like find out the song. I'm not going to spoil whether they find it or not, but you should check out I think, I think it's a reply all. Um, but that's number nine. That's uh, blind. The wind number 10 is called starlight, but it's spelled the fifties way like L I T E uh, <laughs> like the beer. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Up next, a mini mystery. That's not about an event or a person, but rather a magical, almost flubber like uh, substance. Flubber starlight sort of sort of not like in the same way not it doesn't have the same properties as flubber but it is as amazing as flubber yeah just as good yeah starlight is an intumescent material which means it swells when it is exposed to heat and increases in both volume and density which makes them great for applications involving protection from high amounts of heat okay so it's like a heat protection material however Starlight is especially famous due to just how insanely effective it is, thanks to a demonstration on the BBC show Tomorrow's World. So this is a very real substance where they showed an egg which stayed raw and even cold enough to easily be touched directly after spending five minutes in the flame of a blowtorch and can also prevent a blowtorch from causing any damage to a human hand. What? Uh, Yeah. And that was not even close to the end of Starlight. Starlight has also easily withstood a plasma torch normally used to cut through 18 inch thick steel. It can render warheads, which can usually hit over 900 degrees Celsius in less than 10 seconds, incapable of rising above 40 uh, 40 degrees Celsius and has even been said to have weathered lasers that produce temperatures in excess of 10 thousand degrees celsius so i need to cover my whole house in this stuff yes starlight is definitely real that is not up for debate but what is what exactly it's made of is not public knowledge uh though we do know it was originally the invention of a hairdresser and amateur physicist called maurice ward 
who first discovered it sometimes in the 70s or 80s, and that according to Dateline NBC and The Telegraph in London, though I'm just taking this quote from Wikipedia, quote, it is said to contain a variety of organic polymers and copolymers with both organic and inorganic additives, including borates and small quantities of ceramics and other special barrier ingredients, up to 21 in all. Perhaps what? uniquely for a material claimed to be thermal proof, it is claimed to be not entirely inorganic, but up to 90% organic. 90%. Uh. Yeah. Uh, also, according to Maurice Ward's youngest daughter, Nicola, Starlight is also natural and edible, and both dogs and horses have eaten it without getting sick or having any negative impact on their health of any kind. So let that sink in for a minute. So what, okay, that's so weird. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ward allowed tons of tests on Starlight over the years, but never let anyone retain any samples to prevent reverse engineering, turning down requests from everyone from Boeing to NASA until he died in 2011 without ever commercializing Starlight. Uh, however, in 2020, BBC Online reported that a company called Thermashield LLC bought all his notes and equipment to try and make something similar out of the information they find there. And in 2018, a YouTuber called Nighthawk in Light tried to make it from scratch. Try just tried to make Starlight after noticing the similarity in properties between Starlight and those low-key dope like black snake fireworks, like the one from South Park. You know what I'm talking about? Those little yeah. ones that they're like a little pill and you You're light like, it. Yeah. Yeah. He said he noticed that it was similar to that. And so he was like, I'm going to try and fucking make this shit. He made a formula incorporating cornstarch, flour, sugar, and borax that could handle some pretty serious heat sources. Uh, but it wasn't the same and it wasn't nearly as stable as actual starlight. But he was on the right track. And those were the ingredients that he was using, which is crazy. Uh, and that's the story of starlight. A mysterious and mostly organic edible substance that can withstand the heat of weaponized laser beams. I want some. Isn't that insane that that's real? Like, without Man, a doubt, like, that's real. Isn't that nuts? That but I can't weird. figure like out Star like, Wars shit. He let people test it, though, right? Yeah. He let people, like, do heat tests on it and stuff. But and not bring it. keep the sample. He didn't give them. Yeah. Wouldn't let them keep the sample and wouldn't let them know what he did to make it. And there are records of those tests. Yeah, there's literally one of them was on the BBC. Fascinating. I yeah. would love to know what the overall result. Like, you imagine if they if they have records of the tests. Yeah, there could there has to be some kind of like we backtraced it. I it's just, very it's, possible. I was reading online that somebody thinks it might have like got like vanished and like black opsed. Sure. Like got like yeah, I can see a government being like. We're going to give you a fuck ton of money. You shut up and we'll take yeah. this from hey, you. You never shared the secret of this till your death. That's so crazy, right? Like, yeah, how strange. Yeah, that type of thing uh, is very possible in this situation. You know, that's just my conspiracy brain. There's no like hmm. evidence of that. It's not even necessarily conspiracy brain because the, the government is known to do that all the I'm just, time. I'm just saying I don't have any reason to believe that in this specific oh, case. Sure. <clears throat> that just seems like one of actually the more realistic, I think, like options that yeah. probably happened. Yeah. But uh, fascinating, right? Just absolutely insane. Very. Uh, all right. And hmm. here we are at number 11 of 22. Is this the end of part one? Maybe. What Perhaps. Is, 
Yeah, no, it is. It <laughs> what do you is. mean, maybe? Yes, it this is. is the end of, this is officially the end of part one. <laughs> this is the last. This is the last case. <laughs> this is the end of part two of part, of part one. one. This is the, right. this the end of part two. This is next, the end of part one, part two. Yeah. Yeah, because next week is part two, part one. So. Part two, part question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, true. It could be part two finale. Part, it, could it could be, be part, part two, one part of three. one. Who knows? It could be part two, part one of, of the three parts. You never it's, know. It could be anything. Yeah. Uh, this one is called Metropolitan Designated Case 114. This it sounds like right out of minority. Report. I know, right? This, this, you have no idea how great you probably have heard of this, but this is, if you haven't, this is the craziest thing ever. Uh, this next one, uh, we may have lightly touched on before. I cannot remember. Not nearly at this level of detail, though. So you'll be glad I did do this, regardless of whether you've heard it before, because this literally seems like a fake story, even though <laughs> more than any of the other ones that I ever tell you, this one is totally 100% no question, well documented and true, except there's a big mystery at the heart of it. Uh, so have you guys heard of Glico? Glico? Yeah, I guess their full name is Izaki Glico Company. Uh, but if you saw the logo, you'd probably recognize them. They're a snack food brand. They make stuff like Pretz, Pocky, uh, those oh, weird okay. um, yeah, yeah, sure. pudding yeah, yeah. cup, like pudding cups for grownups things that look kind of like flan. Uh, anyway, sure. they're 100 years old in like a month's time. Uh, they've got that really famous ad of the running guy with his hands up from Dotonbori in mm-hmm. Osaka. Uh, which has been there since like the 30s. It's like a landmark. Uh, And their current president and CEO, Katsuhisa Izaki, has been in that position since 1982, uh, including on the night of March 18th, 1984, two years into his term, when uh, mass kidnappers armed with guns, which are a relative rarity in Japan, walked into the house with a set of spare keys while Izaki, who was 42 at the time, was taking a bath. Apparently, they had just been over at his mother's house next door first uh, when they forced their way in, tied his mom up, gagged her, took her spare keys. And then similarly, when they dragged him naked out of the tub, they also tied up uh, and gagged his wife and his daughter. And they took him naked and dripping wet, shoved him out the door, put him into a car that they had waiting outside, and they all fucking left. Um, What? From there, they took him to a secret warehouse that they kept by the docks along the river in Ibaraki Prefecture and demanded an insane ransom of one billion yen, uh, which is about nine million dollars, as well as 220 pounds of pure gold bullion, uh, which immediately made this into a huge national news story round the clock coverage company president kidnapped especially since compared to the dystopian wasteland that is america the crime rate in japan is insanely low and most cases are like open and shut uh like in 1983 there were 27 kidnappings in the entire country of any kind in the entire country of japan there were only 27 kidnappings and of all the murders that happened which were very few 97 percent of the murders were solved in 1983 which to me is like impeccable uh Yeah, it's crazy. But nevertheless, even after locking down Osaka and putting up roadblocks and junk, they came up with absolute diddly uh, when it came to the Glico CEO. Uh, Luckily, however, Izaki was able to escape unharmed from the warehouse on his own, stumbling home after 65 hours, uh, and the ransom was never paid. But a few weeks later, on April 8th, a letter postmarked the previous day uh, from Osaka as well was sent to the Mayanichi and Sankei newspapers, which are in Osaka, as well as the Hyogo Prefectural Police. No stamp, Zodiac style, with the name Katsuhisa Izaki on the envelope. And now Jesse's going to read us the full text of that letter in English 
to wet our whistles for this little mini mystery. Ready? Uh, yeah. All right. I'm in. This is going to. All right. <clears throat> Two Japanese police fools. Are you stupid? There's so many of you. What on earth are you doing? <laughs> if you are real pros, try catching me. There's too much handicap. So I will give you a hint. There's no fellows in the Izaki, Izaki's relatives. There's no fellows in Nishinomiya? Sure. Nishin, Nishinomiya yeah. police? Sure. You went, I, you went for it. You know? Yeah. I, you know, sometimes you got to try. There's no fellows in flood fighting core. Car I used is gray. Food was bought at Dia. If you want a new info, beg for it in the newspaper. <laughs> After telling you all this, you should be able to catch me. If you don't, you are tax thieves. Shall I kidnap the head director of the prefectural police? So a this fucking a villain. This a guy is a true villain. Bond villain. Yeah. Uh, and from this point, over the next 18 months or so, the National Police Agency of Japan would receive over a hundred nasty, taunting letters like this from the criminal group, each one signed Kaijin Nijuichi Menso, which translates roughly to something like the monster with 21 faces. Ooh. Yeah. That's a, that's a hell of a fucking name. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Not only is this an awesome super criminal name, it's also probably a reference to a detective novel from 1936 by Japanese mystery writer Edogawa Rampo, which is actually just a pseudonymous rough Japanization of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, and the real author's name is Hirai Tyro. Um, but the book is called The Fiend with 20 Faces, and it's about a Armistead Lupin-esque gentleman thief master of disguise slash sure. nemesis character who is the nemesis for the private eye Kogoro Akechi. And while it seems pretty scary at first, it's actually more like a kid's mystery series uh, where the detective is like gone for the first half of the book and the boys detective club, like track him down and then they get like caught up and then uh, Akechi's back and he saves him and like takes the guy down. That's like kind of the, the formula for those. Um, but yeah, around the same time that first letter went out, uh, out in front of the Izaki Glico company offices, six cars were mysteriously set on fire. Uh, and about a week later, back at the warehouse where they were keeping Izaki, somebody found another note uh, threatening Izaki, along with a container filled with hydrochloric acid, making it clear that things had really only just begun. And it seemed that more than just bizarre sums of money, what the monster was after was to bring their victims to their knees. And that's exactly what they did next, because their next step was to contact various news outlets all over Osaka and playfully informing them that, hey, you know, all the that Glico product out there on the store shelves that you have all over the country. Yeah, well, thanks to us. Some of it is laced with cyanide. Goodbye. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so just like that, entire country is in panic. Glico products are like. You know, Nestle products here, they're everywhere. Glico products were pulled from every store. Huge chains were destroying all their surplus unsold items. People were returning shit that they already bought and took home to the tune of about $21 million. Ooh. Yeah. As you can probably imagine, the only thing that was lower than morale were the stock prices of Glico, uh, which is totally real. That's not just a joke. And you know what the most fucked up part about the whole thing was? Tons of tests were done on all the delisted Glico food, and no one found a single trace of cyanide anywhere. There was no cyanide. 
I was gonna say a little earlier. I wonder if they just called it in to yeah. fuck with like their profits. So this is like and their razor whole blades company. and apples kind of vibe. Yeah, exactly, exactly like that. But that's not even. I was afraid of that as a kid. Yeah, me too. Not even close <laughs> to the end of the story. Letters were still flooding in four or five times a month, absolutely dunking on the national police, taunting them <laughs> with frustratingly obvious clues. Uh, but now they were targeting another snack and candy manufacturer, the even older 122-year-old Morinaga and Company, who famously started the Japanese Valentine's Day tradition, uh, I forget what they're called, Gyaku Chacos or something, where the women give men chocolates on Valentine's Day. Started in like Yo, 1960. Can we start that here? I, yeah, I'm down. Yeah, it's it's literally like the uh, Morinaga, that's like a it's like the KFC Christmas thing. It's like they have these chocolates that you buy and you give them to dudes. Hmm. Uh, that's their thing that they're famous for. But while this, they're famous for a lot of things. But while this <laughs> of all, they said that the main reason they were moving on from Glico was to give the CEO Izaki a break after living in shame for so long. Uh, but I'm also going to have Mathis read an excerpt from one of their letters to draw us a better picture of their vibe. And I kind of strung, I, I strung a couple quotes here together. So bear with me. Okay. In our group, there's also a four-year-old kid. Every day he cries for Glico. It's a drag to make a kid cry because he's deprived of the candy he loves. Uh, anyway, Japan is getting hot and humid, and we're headed to Europe or one of those places. Let's bring Pocky, the traveler's friend. Delicious Glico products. We're eating them too. See you in January of next year. Yeah, so basically they were like, oh man, we're, we're totally ruining this guy's life. Let's just give him a break. And you know what? We got a kid with us and he likes Glico stuff and he wants to eat it. So let's go ahead and put it back in the store. Glico's all around. Like literally <laughs> that's what, it, that, that's what they're doing. Like some fucking true Dr. Evil shit. Uh, but yeah, almost immediately after that happened and they like broke up with Glico, Morinaga gets a call demanding they pay the monster with 21 faces. What would be about $400,000 in us dollars. And understandably, Morinaga's like, hey, he got a better deal than the other guy. Yeah, well, they're like just cold call threatening them. And they're like, no. <laughs> so another letter goes out to the paper. And here's another one for Jesse to read. To moms throughout Japan in autumn, when appetites are strong, sweets are really delicious. When you think of sweets, no matter what you say, it's Morinaga. We've added some special flavor. The flavor of potassium cyanide is a little bitter. It won't cause tooth decay, so buy the ki buy the sweets for your kids. We've attached a notice on these bitter sweets that they contain poison. We put 20 boxes in stores from Hakata to Tokyo. Yeah, <laughs> so... I know Jesse's putting on a voice there, but I think it's the right voice. Oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. right up there. Oh, it's, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, this time, though, it was real. There really was cyanide. They really did find choco balls and angel's pie and angel pies with scary then, but now hilarious labels on them that read, quote, danger contains poison. You'll die if you eat this. Signed, the monster with 21 faces. Uh, and if that's this is like a, yeah. a Batman, I know, I know. I'm saying this yeah, guy it's is like straight wild. Wild. Like Gotham city. Uh, and if that wasn't wild enough neck, they say also next time there won't be any labels and there's going to be 30 <laughs> boxes. So literally same fucking thing happens again. Glico, the Morinaga gets glicoed now. Absolutely bodied. Their products are boycotted, rejected by all major retailers. Their stock fell by almost 25%. And now letters start going out to, tons of other companies asking them for money 
And some companies did comply, but nobody ever completely retrieved the money. Uh, none of, nobody ever actually came uh, to re- retrieve the money, though there were a few close calls, uh, including one time at a train station in Tokyo where officers lost sight of a fleeing subject near one of the drop off points. According to the police, this was not as fun as I'm making it sound in this story at all. In fact, horribly, tragically, Superintendent Yamamoto from Shiga Prefecture was so embarrassed and ashamed of his department's performance that on the night of August 7th, 1985, a little after a little year and a half or so after this whole thing went down, he walked into his backyard, dumped a bottle of kerosene all over his body and burned himself to death in shame. No, that's not going to do you any good. Yeah. You know, you're just going to get really burned and die. And, you know. Shortly thereafter, whether or not the reason they gave is true, here is what they said about the situation in the last letter they ever ended up sending. Uh, this one's for Mathis to read. And, I, you know, maybe maybe Superintendent Yamamoto made a difference. I don't know. Don't let bad guys like us get away with it. There are many more fools who want to copy us. No, career Yamamoto died like a man. So we decide to give our condolences. We decided to forget about torturing food companies. If anyone blackmails any of the food-making companies, it's not us, but someone copying us. We are bad guys, which means we've got more to do than bullying companies. It's fun to lead a bad man's life. And with that, they never were heard of uh, heard from again. Uh, in the fun times, to lead a bad man's life. What <laughs> the hell? Badass. It's like, I love being a bad boy. It's like D.B. Cooper, but the J- Japan version. Uh, uh, in the, <laughs> and they didn't get any money. They left. It. Yeah, I know. In the time since that letter was received. Oh, that's very Japanese. In the time since that letter was received, not even a single arrest had ever been made, though there were 125,000 suspects interviewed. Everyone from Yakuza to North Korea to some kind of crazy inside job by Izaki or one of his employees. Nothing ever even came close to a lead. And in fact, there were only two leads of any kind in the case ever that weren't just clues written in the letters. Uh, which may or may not have been lies, obviously. The first one was a nondescript man in a Yomiuri Giants cap who was seen placing a Glico chocolate onto the shelf uh, around the time of the cyanide scare. And since he showed up on a security camera, that guy was known as the videotaped man, which is a fucking cool ass. (laughs) Very detailed. Yeah. Uh, And the second clue was a man from the train station who got away. The same uh, event that the superintendent burned himself alive over uh, was police were pretending to be employees of another one of the companies that they targeted uh, Marudai headed to one of the drop-off points with a bag of money on the train. They see a man acting suspiciously because they also have costumed officers watching the, like the drop-off happen. So they have like a couple that's actually cops on the train and they see this guy who's acting really weird on the train and he's pot. And they, they sort of like, Based on how he was acting, they sort of felt like he was there to do what they were doing, kind of just keep an eye on the drop and make sure it wasn't shady or something for the for the whoever was actually going to pick it up. And they were like waiting for a flag on the like on the train from somebody to drop the money, but they never the flag never came. So they had their eyes on this guy. And uh, basically the fox, the, 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 the cops called him the fox eyed man. And if you look at the sketch they made. I can totally see where they're coming from. Uh, just look up Fox. Just Google Fox Side Man. You'll see it. It's like a police sketch of a Japanese dude. 
And anyway, this dude showed up again during another handoff involving the House Food Corporation. So it's pretty likely that this guy was involved uh, in the actual crimes. But he got away again. And once the letters and crimes dried up, they eventually just had to stop looking. And, you know, it's a place where not a lot of serious crime happens. So they were kind of eager to move past it. And so that's kind of what happened. I know this is going to be this is going to sound like a trope. But for some reason in my mind, one of my favorite tropes, especially Japanese tropes, yeah, is this the guy if you look at this dude, <laughs> if you look this guy up online, he looks like the dude who like goes home to his family and his wife is making some kind of like delicious bento thing for him and his kids are studying something yeah, and, he, like and she's like, man. "Do you have a good day?" and he's yeah, like, he "Very much looks like a salary." Oh, yes, man. I had a had a very good day. Yes. And then he leaves the next morning and is like goes out to his car and puts on a ski mask or something yeah. like yeah. that's who this guy it's like a bank like. Yeah. I to love to live a, a bad man's yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's crazy looking. Uh, so they stopped looking for him. That's the Glico Morinaga case, as it's more commonly known. Uh, and if you want a deeper look, if that has captured your imagination, uh, in the years since I first heard about this, there was a huge deep dive into this, a podcast called The Monster with 21 Faces. I have not listened to it. I don't know how good it is, but the website seems pretty in-depth. Lots of scans, lots of photos, lots of letters um, mm. that are like associated with the different episodes that they're doing. It seems really in-depth, so go check it out if you want. It's at themonsterwith21faces.com. Uh, it's great. It's a really good website. And with that, we've reached the end of part one, the halfway point of our we show. We did it. We did halfway it. Halfway point, <clears throat> two-thirds way point, question mark? We don't know. Two-fifths? Part? We don't know. It could we don't be. Know. One third. You'll have to come back next week to find out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. We're off to do a mini-sode, which has some amazing articles, I think, coming slash videos. I think I know what Alex is doing. I'm really excited for it. Jesse said he has something that hooked him right away. And I've got something silly as always. So it'll be a good time. Head over to patreon.com slash Illuminati pod where you can get the mini soda immediately after this. And uh, we will see you guys next week with another main episode. Happy New Year again. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year. Bye, everybody. First episode of 2022. Here we are. Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom. So I stepped back inside. And after a few moments, I hear my wife go, holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.